Let's begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, and then we will continue with stanzas one and four of 379. Oh, come all ye faithful. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the King of angels. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. Jesus, to thee be glory given. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing, O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Next year we should all uh, go caroling together. Okay, I'm just thinking when I sing this song, I used to have caroling in our neighborhood. It started it. Oh, yeah. And um, first we only had like four people, and then we had eight, and then we had a little house We would have chili, and we would go caroling. But we split up three, three uh, different groups in the neighborhood, and then come back to my house. Oh, there you go. That was wonderful. I really Sounds like it. a plan. I really did. <laughs> we used to go to all the nursing homes. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, Caroline is so nice. Yeah, that's good. All right, uh, we'll continue on with the catechism memory work. So this is from Table of Duties uh, concerning citizens. So um, we'll do these two different Bible memory verses. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Matthew 22:21. And remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. Titus 3:1. Let us pray. Our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And Luther's uh, morning prayer, I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless us and keep us. Amen. All right. You guys sticking around here? Okay. You can stick around as long as you want. Um, on that uh, catechism memory work, I was just going to point out one thing. That the... Well, well in both the verses you can implicitly see there the possibility of civil disobedience from citizens. So um, it is true that we're called to obey uh, the government and that the government's established by God for our good um, and that we should give to Caesar what is Caesar's um, as far as what is his, right? But... We also see there it says, give to God what is God's, and um, that is the higher command, right? We must obey God rather than men. And then also in Titus, right, it says to be ready to do whatever is good, right? And sometimes the higher good involves not obeying the, the civil government, right? So um, it's always it, – it's an important caveat to put there that these verses, while they do um, – we shouldn't just read them so simplistically where it's like, oh, just got to do whatever the government says um, because there there is a possibility there of a, a higher good being at play, right? So it is true we should be subject to the government because God gave them to us for our good. But on the other hand, if the government is commanding us to sin, then we also need to be ready to do the higher good as well. All right. Um. We are in the midst of the book of Ezekiel, so we'll pick back up there. And we have a we're go, going through some key passages here. And the next the next one that we have let's see if I can keep my Bible open. Is uh here you want a Bible? Yeah. I got you. We're going to be in chapter 11 next. Chapter 11. And we're going to look at verses uh, 14 through 25. And this is a, a, a theme that is going to continue throughout the book of Ezekiel. And I, actually, I might skip ahead to a couple of the other um, passages. After this one, I kind of I need to decide. I might not go in order, but let me uh, start reading from chapter 11 here. The word of the Lord came to me again, son of man, your own relatives, those who have the right to redeem your property, along with the entire house of Israel, all of them, 
are those whom the residents of Jerusalem have said, You are far from the Lord. This land has been given to us as a possession. Therefore say, This is what the Lord God says. Through, though I sent them far away among the nations and scattered them among the countries, yet for a little while I have been a sanctuary for them in the countries where they have gone. Therefore say, This is what the Lord God says. I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you from the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. When you arrive there, they will remove all its abhorrent acts and detestable practices from it, and I will give them integrity of heart and put a new spirit within them. I will remove their heart of stone from their bodies and give them a heart of flesh, so that they will follow my statutes, keep my ordinances, and practice them. They will be my people, and I will be their God. But as for those whose hearts pursue their desire for abhorrent acts and detestable practices, I will bring their conduct down on their own heads. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Then the cherubim with the wheels beside them lifted their wings, and the glory of the God of Israel was above them. The glory of the Lord rose up from within the city and stopped at the mountain east of the city. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me to Chaldea and to the exiles in a vision from the Spirit of God. After the vision I had seen left me, I spoke to the exiles about all the things that the Lord had shown me. Okay, so remember last time we had left off in that the glory of the Lord had left the temple. And uh, Ezekiel had this vision in chapter 10 that the glory had left the temple. And the question in the book of Ezekiel is, where is the glory of the Lord? Why is the glory of the Lord not with his people? Why is the glory of the Lord in Babylon? Why is it in Chaldea? Well, in this vision, we find out that the Lord's desire is not that that would be a permanent thing. That what he wants to do, this is a temporary punishment, and what he wants to do is to restore the glory to Israel. And he's going to do that by bringing them back out of exile, specifically. But notice um, especially verse... Nineteen, I will give them the integrity of heart and put a new spirit within them. I will remove their heart of stone from their bodies and give them a heart of flesh. I remove the heart of stone from within them and give them a heart of flesh. That what the Lord desires is to give them a new heart. Right. And this is the this this gets um, no pun intended, but this gets to the heart of the problem. Right, and that's, probably, that's why we use that phrase, in in one sense, right, is that um, they, it goes right to the to the main matter, is the the main matter is people's hearts, right, and um, what the Lord promises here is that He's going to uh, save His people, He's going to redeem His people. By changing their hearts, right? They've become hard-hearted. They've become uh, uh, like a heart of stone. Ezekiel describes it as. But he wants to give them a heart of flesh. He wants to give them a heart that beats, a heart that's alive. And um, this is, in, in some ways, this is really the main image of salvation in the Bible: is that of death and resurrection, right? That uh, a heart of stone. What does that mean? It means the heart's not beating. Right. It means it means the the person is dead inside. 
and he wants to make the heart beat again, right? He wants to resuscitate his people. And, and so he's going to give them a heart of flesh. And uh, this is, in some ways, this is also a ba- very baptismal image. I think what I'm going to do is, um, instead of going in order of the key passages I have written down, I want to jump ahead to a couple of passages in chapter 36 and 37, because they go right along with this theme. So um, let, let's do that in just a second here. But the other ver- verses I want to point out to you are in 22 and 23 and 24. Uh, those verses there, uh, the we we get this continuation of the image of the glory of the Lord that we had started in chapter one and saw again in chapter ten of the glory of the Lord being on these cherubim with these wheels um, and the the throne of God, right? And and so this is an image of hope, is that that glory of the Lord, that the Lord's presence, He hasn't completely abandoned His people. Right? He's still trying to come to them. And then what happens there is that the, the vision is over and Ezekiel then um, is transported uh, into Chaldea, which is into the heart of the land of Babylon. Right, The Chaldeans are the specific Babylonians that had uh, captured the, the people of Judah and Jerusalem. And Ezekiel then begins to speak all these things to the people in exile. Right, so he is sharing this message, and uh, the glory of the Lord has been revealed to him to give, to continue to give to the people. Okay, now let's go to um, the. Hopefully, I remember that I I did this because I'm going out of order here, but um, let's go to 36, 25. Look, look around 25 through 27. Be the next one that we do. Okay, I'm actually going to start 24. For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and will bring you into your own land. Notice um, there, the, this is the very much the same language that we just read, right? That he's going to take the scattered exiles and he's going to bring them back into the land of Israel. He's going to bring them back to the promised land, right? And as New Testament Christians, um, we read this, right, not as, okay, like we're all going to go back to the land of Israel or something like that. Um, Jesus made it very clear in the New Testament that he's the new temple, right? And that in him we have our promised rest. We have our promised land. And our promised land is ultimately in the new heavens and the new earth with Christ, right? And so um, you can read this in a sense kind of allegorically now that when God says to the people of old and the prophets that he's going to take them from all the scattered nations and bring them home to the promised land that he's talking about bringing all the Christians from over the whole earth into the new heavens and the new earth. Right. And I think that's a very legitimate way to read that. Okay. And then verse 25, and this is, this is where it gets again, very baptismal. Right. And he repeats what he promised in chapter 11. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes 
and carefully observe my ordinances, and you will live in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will summon the grain and make it plentiful, and I will not bring famine on you. I will also make the fruit of the trees and the produce of the field plentiful, so that you will no longer experience reproach among the nations on account of famine. You will remember the evil ways, your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and detestable practices. It is not for your sake that I will act. This is the declaration of the Lord. Let this be made known to you. Be ashamed and be humiliated because of your ways, O house of Israel. This is what the Lord God says. On that day, I will clean, on the day, I will cleanse you from all your iniquities. I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the ruins to be rebuilt. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of lying desolate in the sight of everyone who passes by. How long? Oh, I read way past what I was going to. Okay. Um, there's a lot going on here. Okay. So first of all, the main thing I want to point out here to add to what we saw in chapter 11 is that we get this specific promise of baptism. And I do think this is referring directly to, to Christian baptism here. I will sprinkle clean water on you. Um, I, 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 I don't know what um, other people say that that is, but I think this is referring to the time when the people come back from exile and the time when the Messiah comes and he begins to baptize. Right, he he institutes Christian baptism. I think, um, and and what comes along with that clean water? What comes along with that cleansing water? Rebirth. Right, rebirth, and this is what causes that new heart and that new spirit. Right, to take away the heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh, and I will place my spirit within you. Right, this is the exact same language that the the New Testament uses about baptism is that it were granted the Holy Spirit, right? Be baptized, every one of you, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, says Peter, right? And, um, and then this, the, notice this changes the way that we live, right? When we're baptized, he says, um, I will cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances, right? So, and notice the order of those things too, right? So um, the heart of stone the, the unregenerate man, the heart of stone, it does not want to follow God's will, right? It does not want to follow God's commands. The heart of flesh, the baptized heart, right? It wants to follow God's commands, right? And so what's the order of these things? The order is not, um, you know, follow God's commands, And then because you were a good person, then you're saved, right? That's, that's not what he, he says here. He says, I will save you, right? God baptizes us. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And that's salvation for us, right? That gives us a heart of stone. And then because of that, we follow God's commands. That's the order it goes in. It's, um, to use some fancy words, it's justification, then sanctification. right? Not the other way around. Um, I'm, I think I'm going to mention this in the sermon, but it was interesting. I was talking to um, a friend of mine 
the the other day, and uh, an older, a little bit of an older gentleman, and uh, he was. We were having this discussion about religion. He he's he he's been an unbeliever most of his life, and is now starting to to get into church, which is good, of course. Mm-hmm. But um, he's you know still pretty immature in the faith, and he said. Um, basic, basically what he said is, well, I think the only thing that Jesus really cares about is that, that we're, that we're good people here on earth. And, you know, I told him, well, I disagree with that. <laughs> he, he was like, what do you, what do you mean? You know, cause that, uh, this is kind of the natural way that people think, right? Is that basically what God wants you to do is be a good person. And then that's what gets you into heaven. Right. And um, that's that's not what the Bible says. Right. The Bible doesn't say God's going to save us because we're good people. Right. Because the truth is, if we look deep, deep enough in our hearts, none of us have been good people. Right. And um, this is the way the natural man thinks is, okay. if I'm just a good enough person, if I kind of please God enough, then he'll let me in. And um, but that's that's not the order it goes in. Notice, notice uh, one, one thing you can do when you read the Bible is pay attention to who's doing the verbs, right? Who's, who's the object and who's the subject. And the subject here is uh, – switch back. I'm going to find my spot again. The subject here is so, so much often the Lord, right? Um, in fact, he makes this very clear. He says, I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will summon the grain and make it plentiful. And then he, he goes on, and starting around verse 31 there, um, and says, look, you're going to remember after I've saved you, you're going to look back on your former life, and you're going to remember all the ways that you were abhorrent, right? And, and then in verse 32, I love this, he says, but it's not for your sake that I will act. Right, he does this out of his own grace. Right, this is what we mean by grace alone. Is that when the Lord baptizes us, it's not because we deserve it. Right, it's because He loves us, and He wants us to be with Him, and He wants to be our God, and He wants us to be His people. Right, this is what what He says. Um, all right. So the other thing I wanted to point out there too is you do kind of get this. Um, like I said, this is about baptism. You also almost get the hint there of the Lord's Supper as well, right? When he says, I will summon the grain and make it plentiful, and I will not bring famine on you. Um, of course, in, in one way, he's prophesying that after they return from exile, that they're, they're going to have food, right? Because there, there's famine in Babylon at the time. There's literal famine. And he's saying, when you return from exile, you know, you're going to be fed. But um, I think we can also read this spiritually, that as, especially in the context of um, this being New Testament baptism, that the way that he feeds his church and makes it plentiful and not in famine is with the Lord's Supper. All right. And this is this does make me what one of the things that makes me a little bit sad about um, our friends and, and churches that, that don't regularly have the Lord's Supper 
is they're they're kind of putting famine on themselves, right? They're not they're not getting the food that they so desperately need and 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 deserve as as faithful Christians, right? So, um, anyhow, all right. I remember, I remember, you know, Vernon was always that's the way he taught. Vernon Brugge. Yeah. He always taught that you know the, the only thing we could do was to deny, you know, Christ. Right. We can't we can't do anything else but deny him. I mean, it didn't. Right. And he kept going over and over because we had one gentleman in there. We had we taught the Bible at at our house there for. Mm-hmm. 15 years, and Vernon just came as a, a as a somebody coming that I was going to teach the class, and <laughs> I'm not a teacher, you know, I'm not a teacher, I, I mean, you, you, you've explained things to me that I didn't even ever know, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I couldn't figure out here with the new way we're doing the service and stuff like that, I don't have to be on the right page. I memorized that that whole service. That's what we had to do before we were confirmed. Oh yeah. Yeah, we had to. We and I, I, I. So I don't. Sometimes all the people around us think I'm probably on the wrong page and and saying, but I don't have to be on the page that the service is on. I know the service. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. <laughs> it's just, it's the same way with like the twenty third psalm on the third grade. You had. To, to yeah. Go to the fourth grade, you had to know the twenty-third psalm and memorize it. Tell it. You yeah. Read it. You had to memorize it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a little off topic, but um, as far as the new the new service uh, bulletins go and everything, I think one of the good things about it that I've noticed is that people are forced to be a little more engaged with the service mm-hmm. and kind of pay attention to to what we're doing, right? Instead of just kind of mindlessly right. flipping through the pages. So. Um, I'm hoping more people kind of memorize more of the service yeah. and 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 try and imbibe it a little bit more rather than um, well, you know, going through the motions. so much memorization back years yeah. ago. I mean, I remember when we had the, the Christmas pageant, we didn't go up there with a little piece of paper sure. and read it. We, we memorized our... Yeah, it was hardcore back then. Yeah, right. it really was. It really yeah. was, yeah. Um, all right, so moving on a little bit here to... Chapter 37, the last thing we covered today, is this uh, Valley of Dry Bones, which is a passage you probably, one of the more famous passages from the book of Ezekiel. And it goes right along with what we've been saying here. Um, And this, again, is part, it's really part of this prophecy from chapter 36. So it goes, it goes right in, into that. Um. And what happens to Ezekiel here is he's transported again. And I, I read this as this really happened, right? Um, it's a vision in a sense, but it that the way this reads um, is very similar to how Ezekiel, like the, these are, they're visions, yes, but they're real visions. Like the, these things are... Ezekiel's experiencing them in a very real way, right? And whatever you want to make of that, um, he doesn't say that, you know, I this was totally imaginary or something like this. He says, the Lord set me down 
here in the Valley of Dry Bones. Okay, so um, the hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out of the out by his spirit and set me down in the mi- middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me around them. There were a great many of them on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? Can these bones live? I replied, Lord God, only you know. And, and notice there Ezekiel is um, re- almost repeating what the Lord had just told him, that only the Lord can, can save his people. Okay? Only the Lord can bring life from death. And he said to me, prophesy concerning these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. I will put tendons on you, make flesh to grow on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And really what this is, is an expansion of that vision of the heart of stone to the heart of flesh. Is God saying here that um, that one way to describe his salvation is a description of taking a heart of stone and making it a heart of flesh. But an even deeper or more expanded version of that salvation is that really what we are outside of Christ is a valley of bones, is just a pile of dry bones, right? But in Christ, what he does is he, he it, this, is, this is also an image of what we'd call recreation, right? Because what happens in creation is God forms the man, right, out of the dust, and uh, then he breathes into him the breath of life, right? And this is exactly the kind of thing he's going to do here, right? He's going to take the 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 pile of bones which is basically man turned back to dust right and he's going to then uh put those bones back together and put the flesh on it and breathe into him the breath of life all right so i prophesied as i had been commanded while i was prophesying there was a noise a rattling sound and the bones came together bone to bone as I looked, tendons appeared on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them. This got this had to be the weirdest thing to experience, right? Yeah. <laughs> Ezekiel standing there in this valley, and and these bones coming together. Scary. Um, yeah. yeah, it is scary, and it, it, it's uh, it also makes you realize there like the power of the Lord, right, to bring life out of death. No one else can do that, right? As I looked, uh, tendons appeared on them, flesh grew and skin covered them, and, but there was no breath in them. He said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, say to it. This is what the Lord God says. Breath, come from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath entered them and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Um, the, the word in Hebrew for breath this is true in both Hebrew and Greek, actually, which is kind of an odd thing. But uh, the words in Hebrew and Greek for, for breath and spirit are the same, and same for wind. So it's like the word uh, in Hebrew is nephesh. Um, the word in Greek is like panuvatos. But uh, the, you, there's a couple different ways to translate this, right? And you kind of got to pick one when you do English. But um, you could say prophesy to the spirit, prophesy, son of man, Say to it that this is what the Lord God says, um, enliven or uh, spiritify, right? Breathe 
um, spirit come from the four winds um, and breathe into these slain or spiritify into these make uh, you know make spiritual these into these slain that they may live right or you could also say wind right so um, the wind blow into these into these bones um, but the idea there right is that God's spirit moves and God's spirit is what gives life right God's spirit is what gives breath um, true breath. And the breath entered them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Look how they say our bones are dried up, and our hope has perished, and we are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the Lord God says. I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them, my people, and lead you into the land of Israel. You will know that I am the Lord, my people, and I open your graves and bring you up out of them. And I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land, then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, I will do this. This is the declaration of the Lord. Um, something else to consider there is the um, fact that this prophecy, this vision comes true uh, definitely historically in at the crucifixion of Christ. Right? You remember, in, I believe it's in Matthew's gospel where the many spirits... Um, the the people who were in the graves, the faithful, they they come they they're raised from the dead at the at the crucifixion of Christ, and um and and they witness to people right and the Lord the Lord can't help but do this by His death and resurrection, He gives us resurrection, and we're gonna have we're gonna be like those bones right, Our, these bodies that we have now they're gonna pa- pass away one day. But God, on on the last day when He comes again, He will raise the dead, right? And He will bring us, He will make us whole again, and He will bring us to the promised land, the land that He's promised us, the new heavens and the new earth. And so this is a, a vision of, on one hand, it's a vision of baptism, right? It's a it's a vision of salvation, that this is what happens in us, um, in one way, in our hearts at baptism as we go from heart of stones to heart of flesh. But then in our bodies, uh, also this will happen in the final resurrection. So all those three passages kind of go together. So I want to, um, I, I thought it would make more sense to cover those together. Any questions on any of those? All right. All right. Let's uh. You know, yeah. Go ahead. I, I've got some right, really right on that particular thing. Just is uh, you know the Elka Church is what I was in and grew up. In. Yeah. And we had the St. James, which was was the Missouri Senate in Lafayette. Yep. And and we we would always talk to them as the more strict. Mm-hmm. But we didn't consider ourselves as being real liberal either. Right. What happened if we changed like that? What did, did the leadership change or something like that? that yeah, well, unfor- unfortunately, I think... Um, I mean, you don't have to answer it. You just want to... Well, it's, it's pretty simple. I, I think uh, the early ELCA did not look that liberal 
in part because two, two reasons. One is that the culture was not that liberal. Um, and the ELC has always been a, a cultural church in the sense that they um, do they go along with whatever the culture is doing, right? And so um, in, you know, a time in America when, you know, nobody is like pro-gay marriage or something like that, right? Just take whatever issue. Um, then, or pra- practically nobody, I should say. Obviously, there's always been some 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 people out there, but uh, the the ch- the a church like the ELCA is not going to be pushing that, right? So they just don't look as liberal. But the second thing is that unfortunately the seed was planted earlier on of what the functioning principles were going to be for the ELCA. And so even though it didn't start out that bad, when that seed grew and and as that as that after that seed was planted, um, it grew into something much more uh, liberal. And what that seed was was what one thing that we already mentioned was being kind of just go along with the culture. But more importantly, the other part of that seed that was planted was that um, scripture was not the full word of God. That that scripture only contained God's word, but was not necessarily God's word. And so we could pick and choose what part of scriptures we wanted. And when you do that, you've collapsed the whole building. I mean, you've taken the foundation out from underneath. So... Um, and replaced it with with whatever else. So, um, so yeah, th- I mean, there are still to this day uh, ELCA churches that have have basically never. They've been very slow growing with that, like just because of like where they are, like and like there are, there are little tiny ELCA churches in rural conservative areas in America. That even though they kind of ended up in the ELCA because of their history, have never really adopted that fully. Um, but I would say they should get out now because if they, I mean, they one they should see what's going on at this point because everyone has internet access, and two, um, it's only a matter of time, right? Because once that seed is planted, it's planted, right? So you you gotta you gotta take care of it. Um, and they've watered it. You know, they've yeah. Grow more and more. Right. So it's really just a matter of timeline. Is is the answer? Is that um, so, sometimes things take time, right? A little leaven leavens the whole lump, but it it takes time for that that yeast to rise. So. And spread throughout the dough. So, all right, let's uh, close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done for us, especially for baptizing us, for removing our hearts of stone and giving us hearts of flesh, for making us your new creation. 
and for raising us from the dead. We pray that you would always keep these truths before our eyes. We know that you will make us to love your law, and we pray that we would continue to seek to follow after it, uh, to love your commandments and your statutes in our lives. We pray this through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.